have you ever felt unlikely? Unlikely to be blank, right? Unlikely to be chosen, to, to achieve greatness, to be used by God. I have. Uh, in school, I was a year ahead for my age, which sounds cool until you remember that my dad is five foot two in shoes. So I was a year younger, and I hit puberty a year later. And when your dad's five foot two, puberty doesn't do too much for your for your height. Uh, not to shame anyone in this room, I'm going to shame myself and myself only in this moment. I didn't weigh a hundred pounds till January of my sophomore year of high school because I just was too small. Um, I know that because I did wrestling. Because uh, wrestling is the only sport that you can be a lot smaller than your peers and actually be somewhat competitive in. <laughs> um, and I don't know about you, but like I felt unlikely so many times in my life, whether it was because of things that I couldn't control. And maybe that's you as well, right? Maybe you felt unlikely because you had a parent walk out on you at a young age. Maybe you felt unlikely because of the neighborhood that you grew up in. Maybe you felt unlikely because of how people treated you based on some characteristic of you that you couldn't change whether it's your height, your skin color, your hair, whatever that is, you felt unlikely for one of those reasons. I think this, that all of us have felt unlikely. I think all of us at some point have struggled with our self-image. If not, like, let's get coffee afterwards. I need to hear your secrets because it kills me. Um, But for real, like, I think all of us have dealt with this. And so we're going to dive into this series where we're talking about what does it mean to be unlikely and to still feel chosen by God? So I think this, like this series is for anyone who's ever felt unlikely. And my hope is this, is that you'll walk away from today going, this series isn't just for me, but it's actually for my neighbor, for my friend, for that family member who I know has also felt unlikely and needs to be in the room next week to hear about it. So throughout this series, we're going to be looking at the unlikely journey of a guy in the Bible named David. Uh, David is someone that, as you see over the next few weeks, has just an incredibly complex journey. And so he was viewed as unlikely by really any definition that his culture could have come up with. And so the story of David is found in the part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament is a period of time before Jesus was born. Again, so this is before Jesus. And it's all the stuff that God wrote down for us to know what's the important things that happened before Jesus was on earth. Uh, It's going to be in the book we call 1 Samuel. It's about a sixth of the way through, um, kind of a a paper Bible. And so if you have one of those, you can open to 1 Samuel. If you have it on your Bible or your phone, that's great too. Uh, It's also going to be on the screen. But we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Right off the bat, I was reading this passage prepping for today, and that verse just hit me. Saul is a king of Israel who has failed, and and it's been public that he's failed, and he is not living up to his expectations. And I don't know about you, but I've had failed expectations in someone I was following. And I don't know about you, but I've allowed that to sidetrack me for a while. And I love that God's looking at Samuel, and he's going, how long are you going to feel sorry for yourself? There's work to do. So like, that's the tone that we're starting this text off with, which is fun. Uh, We'll keep going. It says this, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me because he still wants to be king. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. 
So we know here, right, again, we can take a brief pause here. We know that Samuel has a reputation. It's a good reputation, but it's kind of like a scary reputation. Have you ever had a boss that said, hey, can we talk? Right? It feels weird. And you're like, am I getting fired? Uh, So that's kind of Samuel's reputation here, right, is that people know, we'll get into why he has that reputation, but people know, like, when Samuel's coming into town, like, oh, man, like, we got to clean up, we got to make it look nice, we got to put the the skeletons in the closet, like, we got to take care of all this stuff. So we're going to keep going, and they ask Samuel, they said, do you come in peace? (laughs) That's when you ask your boss, what do you want to talk about? I just want to be prepared, also help my neurotic tendencies calm down. Um... And Samuel replied, yes, I come in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or his height. Lovely said, don't look at his height. Uh, For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. If you're underlining stuff in your Bible, it's a great thing to underline. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord hasn't chosen these. So Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. He wasn't even in the room. We're going to come back to that a bunch. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went on to Ramah. Uh, There's a lot of names in this passage, right? And there's really three characters that we need to know for our purposes today and then moving forward in the series. Uh, We have Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And again, for context's sake, it's important to know that Israel, the nation of God in the Bible, is different than Israel, the current nation in our world today that was formed in the 1940s. They They are different aspects, right? So Saul is the first king of this nation of Israel that we see in Scripture. And he was, he was the leader of Israel for a season, but we see, right, that he, he was leading well for a season, and then he stopped leading well. So God says, hey, it's time for a regime change. Saul's not on board with that, uh, but, but God says there needs to be a change in leadership. So another name that we see right away, and we get to follow for a bit longer, is this dude named Samuel. Samuel is a really, really interesting guy. Um, if you're bored or you have free time or you want to dive into the history, like read the first part of 1 Samuel. It's a wild story. His origin story is super, super cool. Um, Samuel was a young kid who grew up in the church. I, gr- I grew up in the church. I think some of you guys grew up in the church. Uh, and, and Samuel knew God kind of from day one. He was actually interning in a church under a priest who was a religious leader at the time. And the first time that Samuel heard from God was when he was like somewhere between 10 to 15 years old, we think, um, and God wakes him up in the middle of the night. And Samuel says, here I am, God, what, you know, here I am. What, what's going on? What's the plan? I, I've never heard from you. And God says this. He says, I actually have a job for you to do. It's an incredibly difficult job. I need you to speak truth to power. You see, the religious leaders at the time that Samuel had been, had been learning under had some brokenness in their life that they hadn't been held accountable for. There had been some brokenness in their life that they hadn't taken ownership of. And they were trying to pretend it wasn't really a thing. 
So God says, Samuel, hey, guess what? You got to tell that to them. He does, and and it's cool to see how God uses Samuel. Again, I really encourage you to read that. Um, And so from there, Samuel has this awesome journey through the history, and and then he gets it here. And so finally here we meet David, the main character, the person that we're going to follow for these next few weeks of this unlikely series. Uh, We see this moment in David's life where he's incredibly young, but we see it ends with him being anointed. He's he's so young, right? He's too young to even be in the room. I I felt that, right? Like, I think think we've all had moments as as teenagers or young adults. I remember I used to run uh, a college missions program for, for college students. Um, and I started doing it when I was 22 years old, and I looked 16. So I'd have these moments where I emailed college profs at all these Christian colleges around the country, and we'd set up a time to schedule, and then I'd knock on their door for the meeting to walk in. they go, oh, it's not office hours. I'm like, no, 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 I'm your 11 o'clock. And they do this double take, right? Because I think we've had that moment where people look at us and go, I don't think you're supposed to be in this room. <laughs> David had that. And so today, we're going to look at David. We're going to write a few things down about David. If you're taking notes, this is the first thing I want you to write down is this, is that he was unlikely. Uh, yes, we're, we've named the series this, but it's so important. We're going to double down on it because it's really, really important. Like, David should not have, he wasn't considered for this position of leadership. Like, they put him outside. And a lot of you guys know how that feels, where people have counted you out, and they've counted you out to the degree that you can't even, like, get in the room. I've talked with friends of mine who have said, John, you know, I, they've talked about people you know, having a glass ceiling in their work, and I, I can't even get into the building, let alone bump my head against the glass ceiling, right? Like we've had moments where we felt counted out. David was so unlikely because of his age, his size, his status, that even Samuel did a double take, right? Samuel, who's this like 12-year-old kid who tells a powerful religious leader, God told me to tell you, you messed up. Right, like Samuel, who's this precocious kid, still does a double take at David. God still wanted David, though. He wanted David even though he was unlikely. And I actually think this, God wanted David because he was unlikely. See, throughout, I think there's two reasons that we see for that. One is this, throughout all of Scripture, we see that God constantly looks to those whose society has put on the edges, and whatever that means in society in that day, and, and try to elevate them. And to say, no, the people that the world has pushed to the side, I actually value more than anything else. The second thing is this, is I believe this, that when people who are unlikely, like me and you, succeed, there's nowhere else to point the glory to but God. We actually see that in scripture, right? Uh, there's a guy named Paul who's a follower of Jesus who helped start a lot of churches after Jesus went to heaven. And so he's writing this letter to a church in the city of Corinth that's wrestling with so many of the issues that we wrestle with culture today because, man, culture is just cyclical. I promise you it is. Uh, and he's writing this letter to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's, it's going to be halfway through the New Testament if you want to jump there. It says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So that no one may boast before him. I think there's two things here that are really important that God has for us. Number one, this is at the beginning of the letter that Paul writes to this church. I think when we, because I've been a part of a few church plants, there's a season where things are going well and we kind of forget where we came from. 
And we can look at ourselves and go, man, aren't we great? And <laughs> God loves humbling us. So I think there's this, like, we, we can't forget where we came from. Can't forget that, like we say at Anchor, we're all imperfect people. We're all dealing with brokenness. We all come from that place. But number two is this. Can you do this for me? Can you not count yourself out? Can you not look at your, your imperfect view of yourself? Can you not look at the way that the world views you and count yourself out? I, just, I think this, that God has a plan for you that's unique to who you are and the strengths that you bring to the table. And he's saying, I know you're unlikely, but I've still chosen you. And we see this in David. If you go to, to David's calling, again, if you go back to, to the verse 1 in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel that we read, um, and you actually do a word study on the Hebrew word used in verse 1, where in most translations it says, I have chosen. Uh, that word chosen in some of the translations of Scripture says this. It's, it's translated as provided. I provided a king. And in others, this is my favorite, it's translated as I have seen. I love that, where God says, I have seen a king. God looks at David, a young, small boy, and he sees a king. Why does he see a king? What is he looking at? Well, if we go further, right, and we go to verse 7, where again it says, I have seen, it says this, God says that he's not looking at his outward appearance, but he's looking at his heart. He sees a king in David because God has seen his heart. How powerful is that? God's looking at David and he says this through Samuel. He says, I see this in you. It's one of the first recorded uh, versions of, a, of what I call an I see in you conversation. And here's what I know about I see in you conversations. They have the ability to change lives. Because when you look at someone and you say, man, God told me this and I know how God sees you. And guess what? I see this in you. I see leadership potential in you. That changed my life when someone said that. I see more than your brokenness. That changes people's life. I see the potential to be used in incredible ways. Because when someone has that conversation with you or you have that conversation with someone, what happens is this. You start to change the way that people view themselves. When you change the way you view yourself, you actually start to change your trajectory. And when your trajectory changes, your life can change as a result. I just think this, like, there's a lot of us in the room who are followers of Jesus. I think it's probably on us to have more I see in you conversations. Like, what would our, our schools, our houses, our friend groups, our jobs look like if we said, no, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, I'm going to look at other people and say, I see what God has in you, and this is what he's told me to tell you. I just think this, like, our world would be different. And we'd be people who, who lean into those I see in you conversations. Another thing that we see in David, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We see that David was faithful. Uh, it's interesting. If you look at David's early life, even though it doesn't seem obvious, God was training David. Uh, it says before, right, that he was taking care of the sheep. We know that David was a shepherd. And that's incredible training for leadership. Uh, one, there's a, there's a truth, which is like individually, humans are really, really smart. Like, we are, we are capable of so much intelligence, especially on our own. Uh, but in groups, sometimes we can be really dumb. Like, sometimes the momentum starts going, and we're like, that's a great idea, and we're, we, like, go off the cliff, right? And so, like, there is this aspect of how do you control a group that might be moving in ways that's not the best for them, but they're so focused on it that comes from being a shepherd. But it's actually more than just that, like, cheap comparison, right? It's also that, that David grew to be physically strong, which was needed of a leader at that time in history. 
He was fighting off these wild animals that were attacking the sheep or, or looking to, to feast on them. And again, right, like this is, this is pre-Jesus, let alone pre-cell phone. So like if a wild animal comes, he can't call up the military to say, hey, come take care of this lion. Like in that moment, David has a choice. And he, he, he chose to, to fight for his sheep. So he grew in, in, in strength. He grew in bravery because he's facing those decisions on his own. It's just him out there. He grew in leadership decisions because it's one thing to make decisions as a team, and I think it's beneficial for all of us, but David had these moments where rubber was meeting the road, and he had to make a decision. Again, he can't phone a friend. He can't call another shepherd. He can't call his dad and say, Jesse, what do I do? He has to do it on his own, making leadership decisions for a group of people that he was responsible for. And so we see that David's faithfulness to the task that God had given him was actually training him for his future. It's so important to know this, that David didn't reject the opportunity to lead, but he also wasn't angling for it, right? He wasn't even in the room. Can I be honest with you? Like, if I'm David, I'm finding a way to sneak into the room. Like, I'm probably going, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out in the corner because I think I'm, I'm all that. And then when they're like, no, it's not these, I'm going to, like, jump out and say, surprise, like, I'm here. But David, David didn't do that, right? Like, he wasn't prideful. He wasn't angling for this position of power. He was... He was doing his job. I, I wish I was that faithful at times, but can I tell you something that much like power and credence? Like I think in my heart, I try to sneak into the room. <laughs> I think this sometimes, right? Like we can be frenetic. We can bounce around from job to job or church to church because, looking for advancement and opportunity. And I don't know about you, but like I can have the best Jesus sounding reasoning for that. Where I'm like, no, 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 like God's told me that I've gifted you in this way. And so I'm like, man, I think I'm supposed to lead. And if that's not here, then I guess I'm supposed to go somewhere else. And a lot of times when I've said that or when friends of mine have said that, what they really mean when they say if that's not here is, well, if that's not here in exactly the way that I think it should be in exactly the time that I think it should be. I just think this, like that's frenetic. And we see in Saul, Saul was this way. Right In chapter 13, uh, if you go back a couple of chapters, uh, Saul is supposed to wait for Samuel, and he doesn't. He's like, no, i got to do this. i got to do this. Chapter 15, we see the same thing from Saul. I just think this, that rather than be frenetic, God actually calls us to be faithful, like David was. And being faithful instead of frenetic looks like this. It doesn't look like jumping from opportunity to opportunity, but it actually looks like this, being committed to a place and a people. I just think this, like, if you are committed to a place and a people, opportunity is going to come to you. I think too often we try to find things in our own power, and God actually says, I have something for you. You just got to wait. The best, you know, career advancements I had, the best times that I, I, I had something happen at my job that was incredible, or I had more opportunity to lead, it came out of a season of faithfulness for me, not a season of freneticism. And trust me, like, I've tried to be frenetic before. I've tried for, It doesn't work. I think God sometimes is just, you know, looking down on me going, John, I'm going to let you spin your wheels. And in a little bit, you're going to understand that my way is better than your way. I think too often we get frenetic because we connect advancement with identity. And we then connect our identity with our worth. How many of you have ever described your career, your profession, or your leadership role as I'm just whatever? I'm just a server at this restaurant. Oh, I'm just on the worship team. I've heard that a lot. That hurts my heart. You know, I'm just a, a member here. I'm just an assistant or whatever that is. 
I think what happens is, is we start to believe if I don't advance to this, if I don't do this in this time, then I'm not worth anything. Let me tell you, that mindset where we connect advancement and identity, it's going to kill you. Like first it's going to take your time. Then it's going to take your energy. Then it's going to take your spirit. When that happens, we're, it, gets, it gets ugly from there. I think this so often we forget that we need to pay attention to what God sees, not what the world sees. I just think this, no matter what the world is telling you, can you not count yourself out? Last thing that we see about David is this, is that he was anointed. We don't really have a current context for anointing. Um, we have, you know, inauguration for, for political officials. Um, but we don't really have something in the church. And so the history of this is there's a couple of ways that this has happened. Um, I was dedicated as a, as a child in the church I grew up with, and, and they anointed my forehead with oil. Um, that was one way of anointing. It's a way of saying this child is a part of this community and set apart for God's purposes. Um, at times in scripture and in churches, we see people who were anointed um, who were sick in, in terms of looking for healing. And then we also see an anointing like we have with David, which was a, you are ready for this position that is next. So David was anointed as king, which is a huge deal. And then you remember there's still a king. And so I don't know about you, but I've had anointing moments in a church or with God, and I've thought that meant that my life was going to be easy after that. And like a week later, something hard happens. I go, wait, wait, God, like, no, no, we did this thing. Like, I raised my hands, I said yes to Jesus, I was baptized, I went forward, I I heard you so clearly, why is this so hard? And we see that, though, in David's life. There's a book about this time in Israel's history by Gene Edwards, it's called Tale of Three Kings. There's a quote from from Gene there that I want to read, because I think it sums this up so well. He's talking about David, he says this, quite a day for that young man, wouldn't you say? Then do you find it strange that this remarkable event led the young man not to the throne, but to a decade of hellish agony and suffering? On that day, David was enrolled not into the lineage of royalty, but into the school of brokenness. Into the school of brokenness. I don't know about you, there's been moments that I felt I've had an anointing moment with God, and it felt like I was set up for something, and I was like, no, this is the school of brokenness. I wish that when we said yes to Jesus, our life got better instantly and no more bad things happened. I was a youth pastor for eight years and one of the things that that hurt my heart more than anything else is seeing these young people who've been through so much have a breakthrough moment where they realize that God loves them and he's chosen them and then watch them knock down that month later because life's just hard. I want to do everything I can to like scoop them up and like hold them and be like, no, I want to protect you from all the bad things that could ever happen and we can't. I wish I could be up here and say, your life gets easier after you have a moment with Jesus, but it doesn't. What does happen, though, is this, is that it gets easier to deal with. If you look at the end of this passage at 1 Samuel, when when David is anointed, it actually says this, the spirit of the Lord was upon him. There's a Hebrew scholar who's, who's looked at the words that were used when this was first written, and that word upon is, is translated by the scholar as gripped. I love that image, that David was entering into a a season that was dry. He was entering into a desert season. Ten years of hardship in front for David. The Spirit of the Lord was gripping him. Can I just say this? Like, I don't think there's a better season to, to grow into an anointing than a desert season where the Spirit of the Lord is gripping you. 
I think there's some of us in this room that we're tired. We're burned out. Last year's been hard for all of us. I, don't, I know there are people in this room that are like, well, the last year's been hard, but not as hard as other people, so I don't even know what to feel anymore. And you're just done feeling. And you're saying, God, I said yes to this church plan. I thought that was it. And, and it's still a desert season. God, I said yes to this at work. I said yes to you here. I said yes to you here. And I don't feel like it's getting better. God, why is this still a desert season? And can I just ask you this? Will you keep faith? Will you look at the story of David and say that it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you? It doesn't mean that God hasn't chosen you. It doesn't mean that you've messed it up. It just means this, that that there might be a season where God's asking you, can you grow into anointing and lean into that grip that I have on you? You lean into that. I think some of us in the room, we need to remember that, that God has called us to lean into him and to feel that grip on our shoulders. I think though there there are some of you here and you're here and you don't, you don't know Jesus yet. You don't have that, that relationship with Jesus yet. And you're here because, I don't know, maybe life brought you here. And you had a moment where you said, I don't know where the answers are, and maybe that's in church, even though I haven't been there ever. Maybe a friend said, hey, I want you to come because I think there's something worth hearing about who you are. Maybe you were walking by and you heard the music. You're like, that sounds cool. I'm going to check it out. And I'm partway through this. And you're like, I don't know where we went, but I, I'm here. I think this, that that if you're here, God has you here for a reason. I think it's so easy to feel unlikely. It's so easy to listen to the lies the world's gonna tell you that you're not whatever enough. You need to know this, that time and time again, we see that God passes over the likely, the strong, and the self-satisfied. And he intentionally chooses the unlikely, the broken, There's no greater picture of this than we see in Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus was crucified, which at the time was one of the most humiliating ways that you could mete out a capital punishment. There are less humiliating ways. It was one of the most humiliating ways. We have this picture of Jesus on the cross who's lived a perfect life and two people next to him who've lived far from perfect lives. Kind of like you, I feel like I've lived a far from perfect life a lot. And one of these guys is a thief who was was next to him and he said this, he said, Jesus, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to be with you? And I love Jesus' response in this moment. He didn't say, it's too late. He didn't say, oh, you gotta do all these things and, and I don't know if you have enough time anymore. He didn't say, you have to say all these things and repent from all these things. He said, I'm gonna see you in paradise. I love that in that moment and even just such a short life left for that individual, Jesus says, there's still time for you to say yes to me. When you say yes to me, you are chosen and you are God's. I think this, if you're here today and you're wondering, does anyone want to choose me, let alone the God of the universe, you need to know the answer is yes. That the God who made everything says this, says I love you and I have chosen you no matter what you think about yourself and no matter what lies you've heard you guys stand with me as we, as we close our time in prayer? God, I thank you for the story of, of David. I thank you that you continually use unlikely people so that unlikely people like myself and everyone else in this room will know that you want to choose us. God, I pray for anyone who's, who's in a desert season now that your grip would be firm on their shoulder, that they would feel loved by you, they would feel your presence, 
and they would lean in as you carry them through this desert season. And God, I also pray for, for the people in the room who don't yet know you, God, who, like all of us, feel unlikely, feel broken, feel like we can't be used for anything good. Will you press into their hearts and let them know that they are loved and that you have chosen them? All they have to do is say, God, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I say yes to you and your way. In your name, 